everyone. Welcome to Novel Ideas, episode number 84. I'm Candace Huber, your host and the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop in New Orleans. Novel Ideas is all about what I do best, books and board games. I bring you news, discussions, interviews, and more every month. And most importantly, I make your TBR and or gaming list that much longer. This month, I'll catch you up on some industry news, discuss our book of the month, An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon, go over my top games from Gen Con last month, and bring you an interview with Grady Hendricks, author of My Best Friend's Exorcism, Horror Store, and the upcoming We Sold Our Souls, which is next book month's book of the month. That lovely song you're hearing is Brave by Jonathan Colton off his newest album, Solid State. So grab a cup of your favorite beverage, pull up a chair, and let's chat. So let's start with some book industry news. The biggest news this month was that the Hugo Awards were held and the winners were announced, and particularly N.K. Jemisin, who pulled out her third win in a row for Best Novel. She is the first author ever to do so, and that bit of a hat trick I'm very excited about. If you listen to this podcast, I've been saying that I really, really hope her third book in the Broken Earth trilogy, The Stone Sky, wins the Hugo so that she can get that hat trick. And it happened. So the entire Broken Earth trilogy is Hugo Award winning. So congratulations to N.K. Jemison. I think that's an amazing accomplishment and very well deserved. Other notable wins from the Hugos included Best Novella was All Systems Read by Martha Wells from Tor.com. Best Short Story was Welcome to Your Authentic Indian Experience, TM, by Rebecca Roanhorse from Apex. Best Series was World of the Five Gods by Lois McMaster Bujold from Harper Voyager. And the Best Young Adult Book was Akata Warrior by Nettie Okorafor from Viking. And the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer went to Rebecca Roanhorse as well. So you can see more winners at the link in our show notes. What was the most exciting is that the vast majority of winners were women, and I really appreciated that. All of these are amazing, so I definitely suggest going to look it up in the link and read some of the things on that list of Hugo Award winners. Next up... Kiyoshi from Avatar The Last Airbender is getting her own YA novel series, and I'm really excited about this. The Rise of Kiyoshi is set for release next July 2019 and is being authored by F.C. Lee with help from the series co-creator Michael DiMartino, who is consulting on the project as well. An as-yet-unnamed sequel is going to follow, and just to jog your memory, Kiyoshi was two avatars before Aang, whom the last, bend, the last airbender followed, and she founded the Kiyoshi Warriors, who also appeared in the last airbender series. So it's really excited to see her get her own book series, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Finally, AMC is developing an animated series called Pantheon, based on the short stories of Ken Liu. Lou has written more than 100 sci-fi fantasy short stories, and there's been no word yet on just which ones will be adapted. But I really enjoy Ken Lou's short stories, and so I'm also definitely looking forward to this as well. I'm excited that it's animated because I really like animated series, and Ken Lou's short stories are really, really, really cool if you haven't read any of them. The Paper Menagerie is one of his short story books, and it is one of my favorites. So you can get details and links to all the news I discussed today in the show notes on our website, www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. 
our book of the month. Each month, I'll introduce you to one of my picks and announce the book for next month so you can read along if you so choose. You can also discuss our books of the month and get updates in our discussion group on Goodreads. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S, or the link will be in the show notes. This month's pick is An Unkindness of Ghosts by Rivers Solomon. This novel follows Aster, a queer black woman who lives in the Lodex slums of the HSS Matilda, a space vessel organized much like the Antebellum South, or a cruise ship if you've ever been on one. For generations, Matilda has ferried the last of humanity to a mythical promised land. On its way, the ship's leaders have imposed harsh moral restrictions and deep indignities on dark-skinned sharecroppers like Aster. Embroiled in a grudge with a brutal overseer, Aster learns there may be a way to improve her lot if she's willing to sow the seeds of civil war. I was fascinated by the world building in this book, and I couldn't help but think that the space vessel Matilda was organized much the same way as a cruise ship. The wealthy white folks live in mansions on the upper decks, while the poor workers, mostly of color, live in the depths below the lowest decks. I was so fascinated, in fact, that I was really kind of left wanting. The author touches on the structure of the ship, and it does play a big role in the plot. However, there are gaps in knowledge about how everything works that really left me wanting to know more. This world was fascinating to me, and I just kind of wanted an entire book about the Matilda and its structure and how it works. Each deck has a different culture, and they speak different languages, and you know, in my mind, it was it was a little bit difficult for me to imagine at times because it obviously has to be this sprawling, huge ship. And it was really, really interesting, and I just wanted more from that. The characters in this book are also fascinating, and I really appreciate the representation. The book was overall very plot-driven, though, so just be aware of that. And the representation was great. There were gender-fluid characters. There are queer characters. There are mostly characters of color. I really, really appreciated that. But it was definitely a plot-driven novel. My biggest criticism is that the villain in the book is really built up as this big bad. However, I was never really afraid of him. There wasn't quite enough tension there between the villain and the main character, although the author does try and build that up. They're just wasn't quite enough there for me to care as much as I felt like I should. And the tension is built up mostly, I think, because the tension is built up mostly through stories of the past and not through actions between the Aster and the villain that we don't really get to see. It's just Aster telling us stories of what happens in the past. So the villain doesn't actually show up to start wreaking havoc until about two-thirds of the way into the book. And so I think that really contributed to me not really being afraid or, or having that tension that I felt like I should have had with him. The plot, though, was certainly interesting enough to keep me reading, and I was satisfied with how the book ended. I do have to say, though, when I was done, I had a lot of questions. For me, though, this is par for the course with debut novels. I always have tons of questions, and I always want more out of things. But the writing was really good. The plot kept me reading. The characters were really endearing and fascinating and well-developed for the most part. And overall, I really did enjoy this book, especially the characters and the plot. Although the world building was wonderful, it did leave me wanting to know a lot more and wishing the author would write another book in this world. 
I would definitely recommend this book, although fair warning, it does get a bit dark at points. So if you're not into dark kind of things, you may want to stay away. But overall, it was really good. It kept me reading and I would recommend it. So do you agree, disagree, have more to say? Tell me what you think in our Goodreads discussion thread. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S on Goodreads or follow the link in the show notes. Next month, I'll be discussing We Sold Our Souls by Grady Hendrix. As you heard in our interview segment, or will hear in our interview segment, in this supernatural thriller, the washed-up guitarist of a 90s heavy metal band embarks on an epic road trip across America and deep into the web of a sinister conspiracy. If you decide to read it with me, please go to our Goodreads discussion group and let me know your thoughts in the thread. I may feature them on the podcast next month. So at the beginning of last month, I attended Gen Con, which is a huge national board gaming convention, arguably one of the biggest. And in this segment, I'm going to tell you about my favorite games from the con. So I'm going to go over my top five games and a runner up, but this will be in no particular order. These are just the five games that stood out to me at Gen Con. So the first I'm going to talk about is a game called The Grim Forest from Druid City Games. It actually came out earlier in the year this year. And in this game, you play as the nieces and nephews of the three little pigs. It's all fairy tale based. And the goal of the game is to replace your uncles as the king's builder. So you're trying to build the best houses in the fastest time in order to win the game. So to do that, you collect resources, and of course, you're trying to build straw, wood, or brick houses. You collect resources, and the first person to build three houses wins. Now, there's also a bunch of different elements that get added into the game. So there are, for example, fable cards that you can use to kind of screw other people over in the game. There's a take that element to that where you can use a fable card to, say, throw a dragon into the woods so that the dragon burns down all the woods so that anyone who goes to the woods cannot get that resource. So those add a different element to the game. There are also friend cards that you can become friends with, for example, Rumpelstiltskin, who allows you to turn any resource into any other resource. So friend cards help you. Fable cards allow you to kind of do a take that to other players. And the artwork in this game is absolutely phenomenal. It's the main thing that drew me to the game originally is the artwork. It's a fantastic price point for everything that you get in the box. There are miniatures. There are actual resources. There are cards. There's all kinds of things that come in this box. And so for the price point, it's a very, very good uh, bang for your buck. And then also... It The box organization is some of the best that I've ever seen. I'm a nerd for box organization, and so this box has some phenomenal organization. And so this game is called The Grim Forest, again, by Druid City Games. The second game I want to talk about is called Tower of Madness, and this is from Smirk and Dagger. And in this game, you have, you're, of course, playing as investigators. It is a Cthulhu-themed game. You're trying to stop the end of the world. There is a tower that you build that is 
kerplunk-ish or pretty much a kerplunk tower where you put tentacles in, you pour marbles in there, and if you fail at a mission, you pull a tentacle out and marbles fall. And there are good marbles and, of course, marbles that will make you go mad. And there are three marbles in there that once the third one comes out, it brings about the end of the world. So mainly it is a dice rolling game. You're rolling dice to try and complete whatever mission is set ahead of you. If you complete it, then you're good to go. If not, you pull a tentacle and the marbles fall as they may. And, of course, there's at a point that if you get enough madness marbles, you can go mad. And then at that point, you want to bring about the end of the world. You're no longer an investigator. So this is a competitive game that honestly was way better than it had any right to be. I had so much fun playing this game and definitely would recommend it. It was a lot of fun. The third game I want to mention is called Gizmos. It is a game from Simon, and I thought that it was very similar to a game called Splendor, which is one of my favorite games. So in Gizmos, you are building gizmos. There is a mechanic similar to one in a game called Potion Explosion, where you have marbles that come out of this tower, again with the marbles. And you are, the marbles there kind of act the same way as gems do in Splendor, if you've ever played Splendor. So those marbles are energy, and you're trying to collect those in order to buy cards that are in a grid out on the board. And those cards build your individual engine that allows you to gain points. And the first person to get to 16 points ends the game. Everyone finishes their turn, and then whoever has the most points at the end wins. I really enjoyed this game. It's not super heavy, but there's a lot of strategy involved because you have to think about what actions you want to do in your turn. You have to really build your engine. It's one of those games like Splendor that starts off sort of slow and then really picks up at the end when everything starts paying off. So I really, really enjoyed this game. It actually just came out August 31st. So look for that one. Again, it was called Gizmos from Simon Games. The fourth game that I want to discuss is also from Simon, and it was called Railroad Inc. And I'm really into roll and write games right now, and this is a quick roll and write game. What I like is that it has dry erase boards instead of pencils and paper, so it's not wasteful. So that was one thing that I really liked. And in this game, you roll some dice that give you roads and uh, railroad tracks, and you have to use the combinations on the dice in order to connect cities in your grid of a board. And so sometimes it'll give you straight roads, sometimes it'll give you curved ones. There are roads, there are railroad tracks, and you're trying to connect all of this on your board and connect as many cities as you can. So it's a really simple roll and write game. I'm terrible at it, but it's really fun to play and it's really quick and you can play it with as many people as you have boards to play it with. So I really enjoyed it. Again, it's called Railroad Inc. from Simon Games. The last game that I want to talk about was called Poetry Slam, and this is from Mayday Games. This is a party game, and normally I'm not really into party games, but I am into poetry and literature. And so this party game particularly spoke to me. And in Poetry Slam, everyone has, uh, you get a number of cards that will give you a letter, and then it will tell you where the letter has to be, and you have to come up with a word. So, for example, you'll get the letter A, and then your clue will say, you know, come up with a word where A is the third letter. 
And then everyone has to come up with a word where A is the third letter. And then you also come up with a short poem, which is really a riddle, a two-line riddle that is a clue as to what your word is. And then when it's your turn, you read out your poem. Everyone has to guess what your word is. If people guess it, you get points. And so it's just a really fun uh, party game. People can really come up with some ridiculous words and poems. And of course, the longer your word, the more points you get, etc. We had so much fun playing this game, and I cannot wait to bring it to the Poetry Festival and play it. I won't play it with actual poets, but I can't wait to watch actual poets play it against each other. I think it'll be so much fun. So if you like words, literature, poetry, and also party games, this is this was a really fun party game. Again, it's called Poetry Slam from Mayday Games. And finally, I just wanted to mention a runner-up game also from Smirk and Dagger called Before There Were Stars. This is a really cool, really beautiful storytelling game where you make up stories that are either myths or legends. And the game will kind of give you these starter prompts and you have cards that will factor into your that you have to factor into your stories. And it is a, a really beautiful, really fun storytelling game, which again, obviously I like stories. And so this game also really appealed to me and it's definitely worth checking out. Again, that one is called Before There Were Stars from Smirk and Dagger. So you can check out all of these games at our rotating Mid-City Game Night. Our game night is held every week, and it rotates to different locations. The first Tuesday of the month, we're at 504 Craft Beer Company on Tulane Avenue. The second Thursday of the month, we're at Second Line Brewing. The third Tuesday of the month, we're at Monkey Monkey Coffee and Tea. And the fourth Tuesday of the month, we're at Tubby and Coos. So it's the first Tuesday, the second Thursday, and then the third and fourth Tuesdays. We're in a different location every time. You can visit the events section of our website for more information. You can also follow us on Facebook. All of the events are there, and we'll link to it in our show notes. Come and play all of these amazing games with us. For this month's interview segment, I'd like to welcome Grady Hendricks. Grady is the author of Horror Store, the only novel about a haunted Scandinavian furniture store you'll ever need. His last novel was My Best Friend's Exorcism, which is about demonic possession, friendship, exorcism, and the 80s. And we're actually reading My Best Friend's Exorcism for two different book clubs in November, the Sci-Fi Fantasy Book Club and our Not-So-YA Book Clubs are both reading that book as our November selection. Grady also wrote Paperbacks from Hell, a history of the horror paperback boom in the 70s and 80s that followed the success of Rosemary's Baby and the Exorcist. It is so popular, it won a Stoker Award, and you may not may or may not know what that is, but it is a really big deal <laughs> in the horror world. Uh, Grady's next novel is We Sold Our Souls, a heavy metal take on the Faust legend hitting bookstores on September 18th. Welcome, Grady. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So your works are highly creative and told in unconventional ways. So can you tell us a little bit about that and why you chose to publish books in, in that sort of unconventional way that you do? Well, I figure if you're going to get someone to actually buy a book, 
rather than an ebook or something else, like an actual physical book, it needs to look pretty great. And it all sort of started with Horror Store, which Quirk, my publisher, who does really, really amazing design work, uh, decided to make look like an IKEA catalog. And the art director and I just started working with each other and, and egging each other on and more and more, you know, why don't we have pieces of furniture at the beginning of each chapter? Well, then we need catalog copy for them. Well, can't the furniture get more and more dire and occult as the book moves on? <laughs> and so that was so much fun to do. We just kept doing it book after book. And I feel like they've really outdone themselves with We Sold Our Souls. Uh, Doogie Horner is the art director on it. And the book looks like it looks like a, a black metal concept album from like a limited edition vinyl from Norway or something. Mm hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. And I that's what drew me me personally to your books originally when I first started reading them was that I was like, oh, this is really creative and different in the the format and the way it's done. Uh, and and I've that's really what I've always loved about them. I mean, the, and then the stories are hilarious and wonderful and creepy. And that's also good. But oh, what draws thanks. me initially are the that w those weird sort of formats. Well, you know, and I think one thing that's uh, with bigger publishers, they really keep the author separated from the design process. Yes. And I also think everyone sort of internalizes don't judge a book by its cover thing. And I really feel like the book's a physical object. You can't deny it. So why not make it kind of sexy? Right. And uh, and my best friend's exorcism, for those of you who haven't seen it, it looks like an old VHS tape. It's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> Doogie pulled that out of his hat ever. at the last minute. Oh, man. Um, it's so good. Yeah, it's really an amazing job. So you've done a lot of research in uh, your book, Paperbacks from Hell, which is really great. And I got to see a presentation that you did on it, and it was wonderful. But it, it, there's so many books in there from the 70s and 80s that are just mind-blowing to me. So what was the weirdest one that you came across in doing your research for that? Um, I would have to say I rely on an old classic, which is... Uh, John Christopher's The Little People, um, which is about a gang of Nazi leprechauns that inhabit an Irish castle that's being turned into a B&B. &B. Um, and they're not, technically, <laughs> they're not technically Nazi leprechauns. They're actually homunculi created by the SS um, out of the remains of concentration camp victims to work as uh, sex slaves for Gestapo officers. So it's a really bonkers book and that barely scratches the surface yeah that um, just got even weirder as you went along yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's a there, it's just one of the most tasteless books i've ever read but it's got this great cover which is all these leprechauns storming out of a castle and they're all wearing little swastika armbands oh, wow. which is which is just eye-catching yeah really and is that so those are they were all mass market paperbacks yeah, most were. Um, you know, some of the books in, the, in Paperbacks from Hell are not technically paperback originals. Some had a hardcover life, however brief, before they went to paperback. But mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s, everyone was making their real money off mass market paperbacks. Trade paperbacks came in, were sort of regarded as sort of expensive and bulky. And it wasn't until the 90s that those really took off. Yeah. Uh, and so that and that book's really interesting, although I mainly want to talk about We Sold Our Souls. I did want to mention Paperbacks from Hell to everyone because it's a great book and people should look at that. If nothing else, buy it just to look at it and flip through the covers because it's just hilarious. Like I, I every so often will take it off the shelf and just look at the covers and go, oh, my goodness. 
These are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your new book, We Sold Our Souls, coming out September 18th. And so you kind of drew from your own life a little bit in the journey of writing this book. So can you tell us a little bit about that and kind of the struggles that you had with it? Sure. I mean, the book itself is is about a heavy metal band from the 90s that failed, that sort of broke up when their lead singer took off and had this big solo career and became this sort of iconic rock star. And the rest of them slunk back to their day jobs. And we pick up in the modern day where they work at Best Westerns and, you know, sell real estate and um and, and they discovered that the, the lead singer has not sold his soul for fame and fortune, but he sold theirs. And the book's told from the point of view of Chris, who is uh, Chris Pulaski, the guitar player. And it really deals with this issue that I've had to deal with a lot, which is sort of when do you give up? Like, when do you stop doing what you do? Like, when is enough enough? I mean, I didn't sell Horror Store until I was 40. And that's really late to be a struggling writer. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's. That's, that's a lot of years thinking, what am I doing? Am I wasting my time? Is this ever going to pay off? And bands especially live in that eternal state of optimism where the next show is going to be the one that's the big show, the next album, the next song. And, and they're out there every night giving it their all. And I find that every band, no matter how small, has some impact on the people who hear it, and they'll never know. You know, it's like they're throwing messages in bottles out into the ocean, and they don't know where those wash up or what they mean to people. Um, I mean, I know there's a couple of bands that I listened to when I was a kid who fell apart. I listened to their demos because they never released albums. But that music really meant a lot and got me through some tough times. And that band will never know Mm -hmm. what that meant to me. And writing this book... um, I really sort of did a lot of research on conspiracies and, and, and that kind of thing and really went down a rabbit hole with it. And it got pretty dark. And, um, you know, we're sort of living through a darker timeline right now. And um, I really got down in a hole with this book. And it, it hit a point where my publisher wasn't accepting it for me because the book was just getting too dark and bleak and cynical and hopeless. And, you know, I was really running out of money. I mean, you don't get paid your second half of your advance until you turn in your manuscript and your publisher accepts it. And they weren't, and rightly so. And it wasn't until I sort of really hit rock bottom when it was like Chris, my main character, really dragged me by the collar and dragged me out and and sort of showed me that I had been telling half the story. I'd been telling the cynical, bleak, despairing part, but not the sort of hopeful, optimistic part. And I really writing her out of the hole she was in in that book really wrote me out of the hole I got myself into. And um I, you know, and that was the draft my publisher accepted. I got my check. I could pay my bills. But it was it was a real trip down the rabbit hole. And I, I honestly didn't think I would have come out on the other side if it wasn't for Chris. And uh, and that's really cool because I have started reading the book. I'm not quite done yet, but I really like Chris as a character. So how did she kind of come about? Did she come to you first? She, I was already planning to write this book and had a lot of it planned. And it was going to be about a bunch of dudes and about sort of middle-aged guys holding on to their band dreams mm-hmm. and um, how they keep going. And um, I went to, on November uh, 2016, I went to an election night party at a friend's house. Uh, they were very all in the tank for Clinton, and they were very, you know, thought this was going to be a victory celebration. And my wife and I showed up a little late. We got there around 930, which was when things had started to turn. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those parties that just became nightmarishly bad. And so oh, we snuck out about an hour later. And um, as we were waiting for the elevator, it suddenly hit me that if I wanted to write a book 
about someone who was told they didn't matter, about someone who was told that the whole world really didn't care if they existed or not. It had to be a woman. And honestly, by the time I'd gone down the elevator ride to the lobby, Chris was full formed in my head and already speaking to me. Um, but it's just that moment, it really hit me that that's, those are the people on the bottom, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's who she needed to be. And, um, and yeah, she's super cool uh, as a character. I like her a lot. And as far as the scene, you were talking about how she, Chris goes into this sort of spiral and is in a hole. So was there any scene that was just really, really hard for you to write? Well, there was a really hard scene and a really great scene. The really hard one is there's a moment when Chris is sort of trapped underground in a series of of kind of like subterranean tunnels. And it's very claustrophobic and very, very, she can't get out. And and it's getting tighter and tighter to the point where like the walls are constricting her ribs and she's having a hard time breathing. And it wasn't just the claustrophobia of that, but it was just really, that was where I was mentally when I was writing it. Mm. And it took me so long to get out of that scene and just get through it and get it right. And it was, it was hard for me to write, like physically difficult, like short of breath and everything. Wow. Um, so if you're claustrophobic, please be right. careful. Um, and, but, you know, and then there's a scene where she's sort of on the road and she's kind of lost everything. And, you know, I lived in my car for a while, uh, years and years ago, and it really is a different way of looking at the world around you when you don't have any money. And when you're sort of living by yourself, you're living in a car, you don't go home to a house at night. And it's a really different way. And it's, it's scary. And it's, strange and one day someone will rip you off and the next day someone will be so generous to you for no reason. And so writing that part was so great to sort of have that experience reprocessed through Chris and have it be sort of this rebaptism for her. Yeah, that sounds like it would be really cathartic to do. One, one, oh, yeah. one good thing about writing, I guess, is the catharsis Oh, you know, it. totally. Yeah. Like, you know, the great thing about writing is nothing's wasted. Everything you do, everything that happens, every boring elevator ride, every waiting room you're sitting in waiting for a doctor, you can look at stuff and see what it really looks like as opposed to what you assume it looks like. Like everything is, is fodder, which is, which is really nice. It's recycling, mental it recycling. It is mental recycling. I like that. So just one last random question. Do you ever Google yourself? Oh, God, never. I never <laughs> read my reviews. I never Google myself. I don't want to know. I, I feel like, I, like, a, like, a, like a very sad, redheaded shark. I have to keep moving forward. <laughs> yes, I don't blame you for that either. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work or connect with you online? Or just avoid me. That's true. Because um, it's all in one place. Okay. Uh, if you go to gradyhendrix.com, it's just my name. Um, all my stuff is there, social media, events, where I'm going to be doing signings. I'm doing a ton of book tour appearances this fall. Um, and it's all right there. So if you want it, it's there. And if you don't want it, just avoid gradyhendrix.com and you won't <laughs> see me. Got it. And also, if you want to read We Sold Our Souls and you are local here in New Orleans, we will definitely have it over at Tubby and Coos Mid-City Bookshop. It will also be next month's book of the month here on the podcast. So definitely read it and join us for that discussion. So thank you, Grady, so much for being here and doing this interview. Oh, thank you all for having me. It's awesome. Yeah. And good luck with We Sold Our Souls. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this month, folks. Join me again next month for more book industry news. 
my book of the month discussion of We Sold Our Souls by Grady Hendrix, and more. You can find a recap of this month's podcast, including links at www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. You can also find the bookstore on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at tubbyandcoos, spelled out. And finally, a list of all the books and our book clubs, everything that we're reading, all of the books that we recommend, this podcast book of the month, and more can be found in our Goodreads discussion group. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S or follow the link in the show notes. Tell us what you're reading. We'd love to discuss with you. We have also just recently launched our online store, and on there, we have amazing lists of book recommendations. So I highly recommend that you also visit www.tubbyandcoos.com store and check out our book recommendation lists there as well. The music you heard today is by Jonathan Colton off his newest album, Solid State. Thank you for listening to Novel Ideas on WRBH. I'm your host, Candace Huber. Keep on reading.